15-minute fantasy football podcast. I'm Paul Stoltz, former professional kicker who spent way too much time in the offensive film room. And I'm Anthony LaFreary, an award-winning sports reporter who is the only remaining bachelor on this podcast. (laughs) This was a pretty great weekend for me. Two pretty cool events happened. The first of which, I finally married my high school sweetheart. 15 years in the making. (laughs) The second of which, football is back, baby. COVID can't stop us now. Good to be back. Good to be back. So uh, we're going to have a little bit of a different format as we do our episodes preseason versus now. Every week, we're going to be going over our top five waiver wire ads. We're also going to do a section called What We Learned, which Anthony will explain in a second. But first, just want to take a second to plug in our Instagram, our Twitter, at FCK Podcast. If you haven't already done so and you really enjoy our content, please hit subscribe on YouTube or on Apple Podcasts, where uh, you'll get a reminder We'll be putting out content every Tuesday. That way you can make sure that you have the right, you're the right guys queued up on your waiver wire ads so that you can improve your fantasy football team week to week because that's really what it's all about. Nobody drafts a winning team unless you catch lightning in a bottle with Lamar Jackson in round nine or something like that. Fantasy football glory is found through midseason ads, drops, and moves. So, Uh, Without further ado, Anthony, you want to take a a second to explain the what we learned section? Sure, Paul. So something you may have heard me talk about through our preseason episodes is resisting the urge to overreact. After week one, after a long layoff, it becomes really easy to overreact. Everybody's trying in the media to create these narratives, hype things up, take guys down. So what Paul and I really want to do with this section is cut through everything and just create the ultimate source of truth and give you the best information to help you make your decisions to win your league. So that being said, Paul, what are some things you learned this weekend? Yeah, look, I, I, I watched a lot of tape. I watched pretty much every game or at least caught most of the highlights from it. My first takeaway this weekend is going to be consistent with what the media hype is, which is that, look, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is legit. He's the real deal. Watching his college film, it translated over directly to being the focal point of the Chiefs offense. And the best comparison that I could give you, I was watching him Thursday night, and he looks just like Maurice Jones-Drew did in his first three years uh, out of UCLA. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I bought in. If you took him in the first couple rounds of your draft, good job. Uh, he's going to be consistent all season long. Yeah, Paul, that's a that's a great take. I, I think during the rehearsal dinner, I patted you on the back for Clyde had socially distant patted you on the back for that <laughs> move of, of really turning me on to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Kid's legit. And with Patrick Mahomes there, that offense is just just lethal and it's pick your poison and Hilaire is going to benefit from that all year long. Two guys got the reins really taken off of them this weekend. The first one was Cam Newton. 
Belichick is basically saying, I gave you a one-year contract, prove yourself. Let's stop doing what was going on in Carolina where we were trying to turn you into a pure pocket passer. Let's let you run wild, right? 15 for 75, a couple of touchdowns. Cam Newton is not inaccurate. He can still throw from the pocket. He looked pretty good, a little bit of rust, but I, th- I thought, you know, if you took the risk and you took Cam in your draft, he's going to be productive all season long. He's going to put up points. He's going to have a very high floor. The second guy that they started to let the reins off of in a big way was Josh Allen, and they're letting the reins off of him in Buffalo in a different way, in, in the opposite way of Cam, where Josh Allen's productivity from a fantasy perspective has always been uh, as a runner. But Josh Allen threw the ball 46 times, 33 for 46. Defenses are forced to respect him because he's so good of a runner and he ad-libs so well. He put up those stats yesterday, and he missed John Brown and Cole Beasley wide open. John Brown in the end zone with nobody within eight yards of him. Cole Beasley in the middle of the field. He's missing passes, and he threw for over 300 yards. By the way, first Bills quarterback to do that in years. Yeah, that's that's pretty wild. I'm not a big fan of Allen throwing the ball, but I guess through sheer volume, that's going to work out. Plus, he's got his legs to fall back on. Cam, I think unleashing him on the one-year deal and letting him run wild, I really, really, really like that. I don't know how I feel about any receivers in New England, fantasy-wise, but clearly there's going to be value in Cam. He could end up a QB1 by the end of the year. My next takeaway is, and I kind of say this every year, But Jamison Crowder is just safe. He's safe, right? We're going to see a lot of guys that are going to go 11 for 120 and a couple touchdowns one week, you know, the Deshaun Jackson type numbers that you shoot for. And then they're going to go one catch for seven yards the next week. There are other Jamison Crowders out there, but Jamison Crowder again proves to be Sam Darnold's safety blanket the same way that he was a safety blanket in Washington. And I am okay starting Jamison Crowder every single week as my wide receiver too in a PPR format. I love that take, Paul. I think that's been your strongest take so far. I say this time and time again. Every time you can pick up a team's number one target, whether it be a wide receiver or a tight end, they have to be rostered. I don't care how bad the team is how much of a mess the offense is, opportunity equals production. It equals a higher floor. It's not necessarily going to mean a higher ceiling, but it means a higher floor. And Crowder should at least be rostered. And, yeah, I I see him as a fairly safe flex or a wide receiver too. One game yesterday was predicted as a shootout, and it pretty much served as such. Uh, and I want a piece of these two offenses in any way I can get it. That's Atlanta and Seattle. Those two quarterbacks are going to be throwing 35-plus times per game. Russell Wilson showed a new level of efficiency. I mean, he showed a Drew Brees level of efficiency in week one while throwing the ball downfield more than Drew Brees does. I want Metcalf. I want Lockett. 
I'll even take a piece of Greg Olson. Uh, I'm okay with that. Matt Ryan is going to continue to throw the ball 50 times a game. He looked pretty good. What we're going to see is you're going to get a lot of quality garbage time from a fantasy perspective. Julio, dominant. He still can't score, though. They still go to Calvin Ridley. Russell Gage was pretty interesting this week. He showed some flashes uh, last year of being a pretty good guy out of the slot. He's worth a scoop. I don't know if he's going to go nine for 100 every week. Hayden Hurst, I believe, still is worth a pickup if he's available in your league. We're going to see him break open a little bit, especially because there's no linebacker and no safety that can cover him. What we're going to see next week is that the safeties are going to give extra help on Ridley, on Gage, on Julio. And I think we're going to see uh, – my prediction is that you're going to see Hayden Hurst open up a little bit more uh, next week. Yeah, I can't say enough good things about Russell Wilson. As you may recall, I believe I had him extremely high because he's so safe. He is the best quarterback in real-life football right now. I could watch him just throw the ball around and run an offense all day. He's single-handedly keeping Seattle relevant. And as you said, he's going to make a lot of receivers. He's he's the most efficient quarterback in football right now. Uh, outside of Drew, B- Drew Brees. But again, the way he does it is downfield. So we always hear LaFrary complaining about the Shanahans, saying, I never want a Mike Shanahan or a Kyle Shanahan running back because we just don't know what they're doing with their running backs and what that committee is going to look like. Well, there's a new king in town, Anthony, and his name is Frank Reich. Okay. The Indianapolis Colts, without a shadow of doubt, have a top two or three offensive line in the NFL. Okay. But Frank Reich cannot help himself. This is two years in a row now where we have to deal with okay, is it going to be Marlon Mack? Is it going to be Jordan Williams? Is it going to be Jonathan Taylor? Is it going to be, is it going to be Naheem Hines? Is it going to be who was the dude last week that, that last year that they had for the one game wonder, Jonathan Williams, right? I am totally, totally okay with a coach that says, look, we have running backs who have different skill sets and having them be a change of pace for each other or specialize them in roles. That's creating efficiency in your running back by committee. But Frank Reich, literally is just switching everybody else's everybody's roles on the fly. And the offensive line has to do some adapting for each running back, but they're in these different roles that don't make sense for them. Naheem Hines is a great pass catcher out of the backfield. We saw it last year, almost all season, but all of a sudden, right after drafting Jonathan Taylor, after saying Marlon Mack is going to be a big part of the offense, Naheem Hines is the one getting the carries and Marlon Mack had three catches in the first half. Jonathan Taylor had six catches for the six or seven catches for the game. So when you do this, you just put owners in fantasy football hell. But even worse for his sake, it doesn't make sense for his team. And you have an unproductive running game. And that's why you lost to the Jaguars. Yeah. Paul, I got to tell you, the Colts look like an absolute train wreck this year. The Jaguars, I wasn't sure they were going to win more than three games this year. And I still don't know if they're going to win more than three games this year. There was no excuse to lose to that team. 
and their running back use made absolutely no sense. It, Frank Reich is killing that team. The other smug idiot is Adam Gase. <laughs> we knew going into the season he was going to mess around with all the running backs, but look, he just—I don't want any part of that. He's—he's he's good because he's—he's developing Darnold. Darnold didn't look tremendous yesterday, but he's killing that team. He is killing that team. Yeah, and and that running back situation now is going to warrant a lot of observation now that Le'Veon Bell is hurt, and we don't know how long he's going to be out, but he could miss some time with a hamstring injury. Well, we're going to see some combination of Josh Adams, LaMichael Pirine, and 87-year-old Frank Gore, and we're going to expect that our offense is going to be good all of a sudden, and we're going to give Darnold more time. It's ridiculous. I'll tell you one of my big things from this weekend, a takeaway and that is quarterbacks who are trash that are going to be hyped to the Hall of Fame. And that is Mitch Trubisky and Gardner Minshew. I, I mean, Minshew, excuse me. Let's just, I'm not even going to use stats to back things up because, yeah, they had a nice statistical day. But look who they did it against. Trubisky beat the Lions who basically can mess anything up. I mean, how much were they up by late in the game, the Lions, and they found a way to blow it. And Indy, Paul, you just talked about what a mess Indianapolis is. They're not going to be able to play teams like that every week. And, you know, I'm not saying if you already are desperate enough to roster them to drop them, and I'm not saying don't add them if if they're the best players available then you're in a really deep league. But at the same time, don't even think about putting them in your starting lineup until they've done this for another three or four weeks, which, let's face facts, they're not going to do. Look, Mitchell Trubisky did the same thing he did last year, which is he starts the game under 50%, you know, like five for 12. I think he was eight for 20 at one point. But he's got some leg talent. So he runs a couple times, and then he'll chuck it up to Allen Robinson, and then they get garbage time. And that's what warrants a start potentially from, from Mitch Trubisky. But I'm telling you now, Matt Nagy was not happy with the way Mitch Trubisky played. He was not. Mitch Trubisky did not play well. He threw a couple passes late, led them back. Good job, Mitch Trubisky. But he did not give us four quarters, which is what he never does. Gardner Minshew uh, – Look, 19 for 20, I give him credit. But he's not really doing anything that was amazing. He didn't make any amazing throws. He's still not showing me that he can go through a progression. I, 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 I'm not buying it yet, but I can't sit here and tell you that he didn't go 19 for 20 with three touchdowns. I mean, he's not fantasy relevant. But let's take a deep breath and, and wait to see what, where he's at week eight. Top five waiver wire additions this week. We're going to go five all the way down to one. Anthony, who are your five, four, three, and two waiver wire additions this week? Uh, My number five, I've got Peyton Barber. Number four, I got your boy, Scotty Miller. I'm sure you're going to want to talk about him for a while. Number (laughs) three, I've got Alan Lazard because somebody's got to be the number two receiver in Green Bay, and I just think he's more useful 
than I'm going to mess up his name, Marquez Valdez Scantling. Oh, I got it right. Hooray. (laughs) um, Paul, you're going to hate me for this at number two, but I got Adrian Peterson. I know, but dude, he's getting the touches this week. So I'm not saying pick him up and start him, but I'm saying you've got to roster him because off the street in less than a week, he got 14 touches and touches off the waiver wire are essential right now. Sure, sure, I agree. I agree with you. You got to roster him. Yeah. Uh, again, my point is simply that if if Swift and or Carrion Johnson are not the lead dogs by week five, I will be shocked. I will be absolutely shocked. But we'll see. I didn't think he was going to get fourteen carries this week. Yeah, I, I'm really shocked that off the street he got that many touches. But yep. that shows they have faith in him. So, Paul, yep. who do you have your five through two? My number five is James Robinson. Uh, James Robinson is going to be kind of my Adrian Peterson, although I thought he looked a little better. My number four is Robbie Anderson. Always a great downfield option. Didn't think he would work that great with uh, Teddy Bridgewater, who doesn't have that big of an arm and likes underneath stuff. My number three is Paris Campbell, who was my number two lottery ticket, my number two sleeper. And my number two, got to pat myself on the back for my lottery ticket, Scotty Miller. And my prediction that at the end of the season, Scotty Miller would have more receptions than Mike Evans. That looked pretty darn good this week. I got to make my Mike Evans comment, LaFerry. Mike Evans continues to show us that he is not a cerebral football player. I understand he was hurt a little bit, but Mike Evans is the type of receiver that you throw it up to him. He has elite elite ball skills elite ball skills but he can't read a defense he can't adapt his routes he's just going to run vertical stuff on the sideline and and Brady will get him a few touchdowns and a few deep bombs but you know this is going to be a Scotty Miller Chris Godwin uh offense yeah I felt like the most texts I got from you on Sunday was basically over Scotty Miller doing as well as he was doing and outperforming Mike Evans. Great take on that, dude. Uh, In all honesty to our listeners, I didn't even know who Scotty Miller was until Paul brought him up. So for him to take a guy that from such obscurity and bring him to the forefront, I think Paul deserves a lot of credit for that take. All right. Who's your number one ad? I have to assume it's the same guy, but let's see. Yeah. You got to pick up Malcolm Brown right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so here's, here's my take on it. Paul, you're going to get more into analytics. 18 touches. He's going to be the goal line guy. But as far as my take from watching him, and I watched every snap of that game, unfortunately, because I'm a Cowboy fan. God help me. But I love the way – he ran with authority and how they really were out hitting the Cowboys defense. You got to add him right now. It's just a no brainer. He's your guy. Look at, so I said, James Robinson looked decent. Uh, I said, Adrian Peterson got his 14 carries and Anthony makes a great point. Who gets the touches, who gets the volume. You got to add him. Malcolm Brown is a very different, character in a very different scenario he's a leader of this team so his presence is always felt but he is 
better and smarter, makes better decisions than, than the other guys. He showed great vision and decision-making yesterday on film to me. He runs a lot like Leonard Fournette, in my opinion, where he always just takes what's given to him. He has one more move after that. He's not going to give you 15 and 20-yard runs consistently. But Malcolm Brown, there were so few times yesterday where they handed him the ball, and he didn't make a good, quick decision, take his yards, four yards, five yards at a time. Uh, and they're giving the goal line stuff. So, look, Malcolm Brown is 100% worth an ad this week. I think he may even be worth a, a, a flex or an RB2 start, depending on your situation. Yeah, agreed. Look, Cam Akers, is, Cam Akers showed me he's pretty good. He's probably going to be more of a big play guy. Uh, and he's, Cam Akers is going to get 10 to 12 touches every week, but I think Malcolm Brown is still going to get the 15. Daryl Henderson, I know he's coming off an injury, but I just, he, you know, I don't see it. I, I don't see it. There's a little bit there. They, they kind of like him, but. I think Malcolm Brown's going to be the starter uh, or at least get 60% of the touches all season. Well, that concludes our first in-season episode, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this format. We'll change it up a little bit. We're going to have some uh, daily fantasy episodes as well for those that like DraftKings or FanDuel. Uh, But besides that, we're going to come to you with the top five ad drops every week. We're going to give you our takeaways. Hope you find it valuable. Real quick, at FCK Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram. Hit subscribe. If you like this type of content, it'll, it'll ping you every week. Apple Podcasts or on YouTube. And check out our website, www.fckpodcast.com. Thank you so much for tuning in, everyone, and good luck in your fantasy football season.